I'm going to begin with a story from when I went to college at Andrews. It was 2010 in Janu- January 2010. And if, you don't, if you're from Berrien and you don't recall that winter, there was a huge snowstorm that came across. And when I arrived at Andrews University, after I've traveled 2,200 miles from California, my first time here, in my flip-flops, I drove up and there was four feet of snow on the ground. Everything was covered. Students weren't back from campus, so it was very quiet, very snow-covered. And I had no, I knew one person here. I dropped my friend Karen off at the airport who'd driven out with me. And I remember driving back to campus. Um, I transferred in in the middle of the year thinking, I am very alone right now. I am lonely. A moment of loneliness hit me. And I'm sure you can pinpoint a time in your life when you felt lonely. And I've been thinking about this waiting room of loneliness, waiting room with God, with the feeling of loneliness there. And it took me to the Bible, and I was looking at what stories in the Bible God touches on loneliness. And um, the first one I remembered, actually, is in Genesis, Genesis Chapters 1 and 2, very first two chapters of the Bible, creation. God creates the earth. And if we could ever rewind back and watch God create, if there's a big video camera that's been recording earth's history, that is a story that I want to watch. So God creating the earth. It must have been this amazing, God is speaking and then boom, creation, the world into existence. He creates um, birds and he creates whales and he creates sky and land and water and there's just things speaking and coming to existence. It's just amazing to me to even ponder and think about this beauty of creation, right? So God spe- God's speaking and creating and he says, that is good. This is good. That is good. This is good. And he says, wait, that is not good. And what was the first not good thing in this perfect world? Loneliness, right? It's not good that man should be alone is what he says, what God says. And then, bam, or a little slower, bam, God God creates Eve. And, And he creates husband and wife, and he creates company and togetherness for them, right? So the first solution to the not good problem of loneliness was, was woman, was Eve and man together. Awesome. And when God says something is not good, like we trust him. We know that, that um, he has a solution to this problem of loneliness. So guess what God does for you and me today when we're lonely? There's an answer. In John chapter 14, 16, Jesus, is prom- Jesus promises that God will send us a comforter. And the Holy Spirit, the comforter, will be with us forever. And all we have to do is ask. So in those moments, in those times when you're feeling really lonely, just simple prayer to, to God. And he sends the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And actually, right now, I know many of us are in this new paradigm where we've maybe been more lonely than we normally are. Many of us may be living alone, physically alone. You don't have people in your homes. Maybe you do have people, but you still are having feelings of loneliness come over you. So I pray 
right now. Let's just say a word of prayer right now and pray for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to fill our lives. Dear Jesus, God, I pray that you send the Holy Spirit right now, God, our Comforter, to comfort each one who can hear my voice, God. God, we know you say, we ask, and you will give us the Holy Spirit to comfort. So thank you, God, for that. Be with us now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you don't have to look far today, especially, to see that people are lonely. So I looked up the definition of loneliness, um, Webster's definition. I pulled five. First one, being without company. Pretty simple. Cut off from others, number two. Number three is not frequented by human beings. I'm feeling that right now. I'm not seeing a lot of people right now. Probably you aren't either. Just not frequented by people like normal. Sad from being alone is number four. Producing a feeling of bleakness or desolation. Number five. But we honestly don't need Webster's definition of loneliness because we know what it feels. Most everyone has felt that at some point in their life. And you don't have to look far, talk to many doctors or physicians to know that that even feelings like this can cause physical problems. When God said it wasn't good at the beginning, it's true. It's not good to be alone. It's not good to have these feelings of loneliness. Um, and, And it can sometimes have negative physical effects, and we know that. So as I continued to look into the Bible to see some more stories that would shine some light on how God deals with loneliness, another story came, came across as I was studying, and we're going to look at that, that in detail today. All right, this is in 1 Kings, and 1 Kings Ahab, king, or, sorry, Ahab is the king over Israel. He reigns for 22 years, and the Bible tells us he is an evil king. He led Israel into apostasy. And, and during that time, God uses a man the name prophet Elijah, right? And he raises up Elijah to bring God back to Israel, to bring Israel back to God, right? And so God gives Elijah this message. He says, take this message to King Ahab. And you can read and follow along in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. And this is what I'll read. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him saying. So God told, told Elijah, said, he, I need you to go to King Ahab and you tell him there's not going to be any more rain. No dew, nor rain. The people have gone too far. They've messed up too much. And I need to show them who the real God is. They're worshiping this God of Baal and not the real God of the me, right, is what God says. So go tell him. And Elijah obeys. Elijah has crazy faith in God. And he obeys, goes right up to King Ahab, tells him there's not going to be any more rain. It's going to be a drought. And immediately from there, Elijah gets up and goes. God tells him, go straight from there and go to a canyon. And I want you to hide yourself by the brook of Kareth. All right? So Elijah heads up this canyon. There's probably not a marked trail for the canyon. He's just marching through. And this is one of the wildest canyons. There's caves and outcroppings and sharp rocks. And one of the wildest um, places And um, he's following this creek up, this creek that runs year-long 
when there's water. And he gets, gets to the place where God has told him to go. He makes camp probably there. And, and God provides, right? He's probably starving. And pretty soon he sees in the sky coming, is that as a bird, a raven? Because I'm going to feed you with ravens. And so ravens start coming and dropping, the Bible tells us drops bread and meat for Elijah. So I don't know if this was like prepared plate, like covered, wrapped, like we're getting um, delivered to your homes or probably not, but he probably prepped it over a fire. But maybe those birds found some good seasoned food too. But they brought Elijah breakfast and they brought him dinner two times a day. Ravens fed Elijah. Besides that, he was out in the wilderness all alone. And I don't know about you, but we've been in this for about three months-ish or so about being, being at home, being more lonely, alone, isolated than we have been. And the Bible doesn't tell us how long Elijah was out there by the brook, but it does say that the brook dried up. So if it was a substantial amount of water, it could be months, could be a year, even eight months, a year, five months, we don't know exactly. But he was there for quite a while all by himself. So what do you think Elijah did? I, I was just pondering, what, what was he doing? He was probably communing with God. And the same God that communed with Elijah there gets to commune with you and me today, gets to comfort us in these, this time where we're, we're shut off from a lot of people, just like Elijah was. This waiting room, um, per se, that Elijah, Elijah was in. And it was, it was probably a lonely point in his life. So after that, God instructs him, says, hey, Elijah, I need you to get up. The brooks run dry. There's no more water here for you. But I have a solution, another solution to this problem. And God sends him to a widow in a distant land. He walks and walks, probably packs up his last remainder, last food from the ravens, um, packs it up to carry on his way because he doesn't know when God's going to provide next. But God does, right? So he heads out, he hikes, um, walks all the way, and, and heads to a widow's house. He meets her at a well. She gives him water. Her food's almost gone, and God provides there. He provides oil, and he provides um, flour, and they make bread. And the bread feeds her whole family for the duration of the drought and feeds Elijah. He gets to hang out there in a home, um, still staying safe. In the meantime, Jezebel and Ahab... Jezebel is Ahab's wife, and they are hunting for Elijah. They said, this is the man. He's the one who's caused all this havoc on on us, why there's no water. They're worshiping Baal. They're praying to Baal because they believed that Baal was the one who would bring water. And they believed Baal was the one who would plant and grow the, cro- or grow the crops. And they believed Baal was the one who, who ordered the sun. And how wrong they were right? They, they were so completely wrong, and God was just trying to show them it was God the whole time, not these idols that you're worshiping. So they blamed Elijah. They prayed to Baal in Israel, and they were searching for him. They couldn't find Elijah anywhere. So he hid out with this woman, um, in her, widow in her house, in her family's house, for the rest of, of the duration of the drought. Then, chapter 18, it says, chapter 18, verse 1, now it happened after many Days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So he said, Hey, God's like, It's time. We're going to bring back the rain. I have some big plans 
to show Israel who I am. All right. And so um, Elijah gets up when he hears a word from the Lord. He goes immediately. He has such faith and trust in God. And so he heads out. He's on his way to go meet Ahab. And there's a man by the name of Obadiah. Now, Obadiah served King Ahab, but he also believed in God. And during this time, Obadiah took a hundred prophets of God and he hid them in caves and he kept them fed. So he was serving God during this time, but also working for Ahab. And um, as, as Elijah's heading back to go meet King Ahab, he runs into Obadiah. Obadiah is searching for water and for their, for their crops and for their animals, which because they're having a hard time finding it. It's been, been a while for this drought. And um, he hits, heads up, meets Obadiah, and all of a sudden, Obadiah runs into Elijah and says, Elijah, I mean, they've been looking for you, Elijah, my master, you're here. And Elijah says, here I am, I want you to go to King Ahab, and I want you to tell him I want to meet up with him. And Obadiah said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a death sentence for one, and I don't want to go, right? I'm not going to put myself in harm's way. And they go through this conversation. You can read it in chapter 18, back and forth. Obadiah tells Elijah what he's been doing. And um, in the end, in the end, Elijah's like, I won't leave. Obadiah was worried that he was going to disappear again, and then they'd have his head. But he's like, I won't leave. Just t- tell me. Tell him I want to meet with him. He goes. Obadiah goes, gets King Ahab, and Elijah and Ahab meet. And so verse, uh, first Kings chapter 18, verse 17, when Ahab, it's been about three years since they've seen each other and this drought has just ravic, or over this, over the country, over the land. There's been no water. Crops have died. Animals have died. People probably have died. And, um, Ahab has been searching for Elijah and he sees him. And this is what he says to him. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says back to him, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. You have followed the Baals. And now you, now, this is what I need you to do. Verse 19, now send and gather to me all of Israel at Mount Carmel, together with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So bring me these 850 prophets who worship these false idols and bring me all of Israel and we're going to have a showdown. And you know the showdown is Mount Carmel. You've probably heard this story. If you haven't, it's 1 Kings 18, starting in about verse 20. Read through that. It's an amazing story. I'm going to summarize it here. So what happens is the whole people of Israel come to watch. The prophets of Baal come on top of this mountain. They build an altar to Baal. They, they, they kill their, their ox and they put them up there. And this is the test. God, the God of Elijah, versus the idols of Baal, who can bring fire to the altar? So the prophets of Baal try their absolute hardest, try and try and try, since idols are not real gods, no fire comes. And then, I mean, they, they go all out. And then Elijah prays at the evening sacrifice. He comes near. He says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, till day let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Lord. Answer me that this people may know you. 
you, O Lord, are God, and that they can turn their heart back to you again. And then, fire from the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah says to him, God is God. They saw the fire come down from heaven, burned up everything, not just the sacrifice, but it burned the wood, the stones. They had poured water over it, burned all that water, fire from heaven. Who was the true God, right? Amazing. So Elijah, in front of all the people of Israel, saw this. They took the prophets of Baal and they, they, they killed them. And then um, Elijah got up from there and he said, before there was even a cloud in the sky, he said, God's going to send rain. Because you've, you've come back to him. You've turned your hearts back to him. And then he waited and he prayed and he waited and he prayed and he waited and prayed. And then all of a sudden there was a cloud in the sky. This is the size of a man's fist. And then a huge, he told Ahab, go back because there's going to be a huge storm coming. And there was. Storm came, water came, and, and there was rain. There hadn't been in a very, very long time. But that's not where our story ends. We are going to go a little bit further with Prophet Elijah. So, um, Ahab, Jezebel somehow missed this whole thing. Jezebel is Ahab's wife, and she had somehow missed this whole showdown. And um, Ahab went back and told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he'd killed the prophets with the sword, and how fire had come from heaven from his God, not the gods of Baal. And Jezebel got upset, so she sent a messenger to Elijah, and this is what she said to him. She said, So they may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. She said, I'm going to kill you. And after all of this, what do you think Elijah said? Like after, after God had, had used him in such a mighty way on Mount Carmel to show Israel who God was, after he'd fed him, through, through the ravens, fed him through the widow's jar that was empty, but God kept refilling. After he protected him and kept him safe, Elijah runs. He runs and he hides. And he says, God, take my life. They're trying to kill me. He is so, <laughs> so scared that he runs, runs and hides. Now, I don't know about you, but after, after experiencing God, sometimes these high moments, um, it's, it doesn't seem like it would be easy to slip back into it, into a, a not belief of God. But I feel like in this time, Elijah just, just he said one more thing. That's it. She's coming after me again after all of this. Okay, so he goes into the wilderness. He says, the Bible says he's a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came, he sat down under a juniper tree. He'd been walking for a day. And he just laid down and fell asleep. He slept under this juniper tree. And then an angel came and shook him and said, wake up, Elijah. There was food prepared for him. The angel woke him up twice, gave him food to eat, baked on hot stones and some water to drink. Elijah ate, fell back asleep. He woke him up again. He ate, he fell back asleep. And then this is actually my favorite part of the whole story. So Elijah's been alone 
in the wilderness. He's been hiding out in the widow's house. This huge miraculous thing happens. He runs and hides from Jezebel now, again in the wilderness. He's been out there 40 days and 40 nights running from God. God didn't send him this time. It was his choice to be out there alone. And this is the cool thing about the God we serve. No matter if we put ourselves in the alone situation or if God puts us in the alone situation, God is the comforter. He has an answer. So 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, Then Elijah came to a cave and lodged there. This is verse 9. Then Elijah came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And God said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says this, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. He is feeling upset and lonely. I'm the only one, he says. And God says, all right, I hear you. (laughs) But come here, stand on this mountain. And I'm going to come to you. So God says to him. Stand on this mountain, Elijah. I'm going to come to you. In verse 11, the Lord said he would pass by. And behold, there was a great strong wind. And it rendered the mountains, broke into pieces, rocks. And so I can imagine this tornado just ripping through the canyon, rocks flying everywhere, debris, tree branches, and it's dusty probably because there's been a drought and rain, so maybe muddy because a little bit of rain over top this drought. And the wind, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Come from California, I've experienced earthquakes, things shake and shake and shake and things fall. So Elijah on the mountain, just the whole thing rumbles and shakes and things are falling. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. <laughs> so what was left of, of the tree branches there and the trees, a fire sweeps through this, this canyon and burns, and there's smoke, and you can smell it and hear the crisping of the trees and things cracking and burning. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, Elijah heard a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, this is verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him, Again, saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) Even in Elijah's loneliness, his second time being alone, when he chose to run this time, God came to him and God said, what are you doing here? And even in our times of loneliness right now, God comes to you. He sometimes doesn't come in these big, loud manners. He comes in that still, small, gentle, blowing voice. He says, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing with this time right now I've given you? You have time. You have this quiet time. And yes, you may be alone. But I pray that you're experiencing God's comfort right now. 
And you may have had Mount Carmel times with the Lord. You may have seen fire from heaven. You may have seen God in earthquakes. (laughs) You may have seen God in these high points in life. But in the waiting room with God, in the lonely times, God's right there too. I mean, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I imagine another pinpoint time of loneliness. I imagine he was very lonely. The weight of the world on his shoulders, the weight of our sins that he was bearing right then and there, I imagine that was a very lonely time for him. And God, the God of all comfort, was right there with him. Even when we don't necessarily feel it, God is right there. He says, what are you doing right there? So my appeal for us this morning That now is not the time to shy away. Now is not the time to hide in our moments of loneliness. It's not a time to relax. It's not a time to sit around and watch TV. Like now is the time in your company of one with God. Now is the time, maybe if you're feeling lonely, maybe if you're not. But now is the time that we have in these moments of more quiet time to hear God's voice whisper to you. Now is the time to search our hearts. Now is the time to talk to God like we've never talked to him before. And he will show up in your life. And God God is challenging us, I believe, right now in this. I mean, we have pretty much mandated almost alone time um, that we can really search our hearts to dig deep to believe God is sending us the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to believe God when we can come to Him and confess all of our sins, everything we've done wrong, confess and repent, tell Him right now. I mean, friends, like, this is the time right now. And I know Jesus is coming back soon, and I don't want that to be said in a state of fear, but an appeal of, of love. Because Christ, when He died after that night in Gethsemane, He died for you and he died for me. And Elijah, when he was alone, both times, all the times, every time, Christ was right there to comfort him and right there to carry him through. And he's died for his sins, Elijah's sins, he's died for my sins, and he's died for yours. So are you thoroughly searching your heart right now in the time that we have? And I'm going to be so glad when Jesus comes back in the clouds. I'm I'm excited for it, but... But I don't, want, I don't want my friends, I don't want my families to miss out. Um, I want them to know about Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. So that's my appeal for you today. One, if you're alone, ask for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. God promises to give you that. Two, confess your sins to him. Spend time searching your heart right now. And three, Be in God's company of one during this time. Be alone. Spend time in the aloneness with him. So let's pray as we close. God, I pray pray for us in our complacency, God. I pray for us in our alone time with you. God, maybe we're feeling lonely and we trust you in that. God, maybe we're feeling confused, sad, um, There's a lot of things that are going through. There may be lost jobs and there may be moves and there may be lots of things, God, that that we just don't understand right now and sickness and death. God, I just pray for each person 
that we would turn to you during this time, that we would draw near to you in our times of solitude and the times of aloneness. And God, we know that you have felt every single one of these feelings. So comfort us now. Be with our church, God. Draw us stronger, draw us close to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.